Hey everybody, I'm Ben Gramico from InterNACHI. That's the International Association of Certified Home Inspectors. And behind me is the Florida House of Horrors, but actually it's just a, a picture. I'm not actually there. Uh, it's closed down uh, temporarily uh, until all this blows over and we can open up and have live training classes. But until then, um, I've asked certified master inspectors to take time out of their busy schedule to share what they know and keep us trained, keep us on our toes, keep us learning. Uh, you never stop learning. And I have my buddy, Dennis Bonner from Florida Insurance Inspections from Deerfield, Florida. Uh, I think that's north of Miami, uh, north of Fort Lauderdale. And uh, he is an internationally certified professional inspector, uh, a certified master inspector, which is the best of the best. He's a certified instructor, so he trains other inspectors and he wants to talk a little bit about Florida insurance inspections, the various types of insurance inspections, uh, how to do them, the forms, how to make money. And also he's available to take some, some, some questions in the next hour or so. So if you're attending this Zoom webinar, Internet you webinar live, feel free to ask questions. There's a button somewhere that says Q&A, that's questions and answers. Uh, I can look at your questions, I'll interrupt Dennis uh, and uh, ask, uh, any kind of question that you want. Uh, there's also a chat too, so you can chat or ask questions. And uh, Dennis, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Awesome, man. Hey, thanks so much for taking some time in your busy schedule. You actually pushed a home inspection uh, in your schedule just to do this, so I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what are we going to talk about today? All right, so today we're going to talk about insurance inspections. Um, greetings to everyone out there. I'm broadcasting live here from my, my natural habitat, my work vehicle. We had a little bit of a scheduling issue. My office apparently isn't familiar with mountain time, so we're here on eastern time. I actually pushed a home inspection forward a little bit, but we're going to talk about um, insurance inspections in Florida, which is a huge, uh, it's part of, a huge part of our industry. It's actually a uh, good timing. Today we had our first named tropical storm gonzalo it's about it's about a thousand miles off the coast of dominican republic so we're looking to see we're going to track that one in the future it looks like there's a couple behind it too so um if you guys are familiar with troy bishop follow him on social media he tracks the storms um so with the uh regarding storms we talk a lot about wind mitigation inspections and uh, as licensed home inspectors, you're authorized to perform those inspections. Um, we have probably the most robust class in the industry online free to our members how to perform a wind mitigation inspection. Um, and as a licensed Florida home inspector, <clears throat> you're required to show proof of having completed that course when you submit a home inspection. So after you complete that course, you want to go to the end and print your certificate and attach that to your report when you send it. That way it won't get rejected by any underwriters. So that's very important to keep in mind. Um, <clears throat> so the, uh, the, the two type of inspections we're going to talk about today is the wind mitigation and the four point inspection. The wind mitigation is basically a survey of building features that help protect against uh, damage from, from winds. So you have roof features basically and opening protection devices. Um, 
with the roofs, like some of it's easy. You can uh, verify permit information for having a new roof. Um, and that would be a discount for having a roof that's built under the Florida building code. So um, I'm going to open up a form here in a little bit. Actually, I can open that now. Give me one sec. And this is uh, my first Zoom meeting. So it's a sign of the times. We have a, uh, a worldwide pandemic with COVID-19. And I'm actually, I guess, sitting in the uh, World Epicenter, South Florida. Uh, behind you, you can see the, uh, the House of Horrors. That's where we usually teach this class. We have a, um, a hands-on wind mitigation uh, display, which we've taught a lot of classes at, but it's not open to the public now. So we are, uh, we're doing this, this Zoom meeting. And I do recommend all inspectors take the, um, the COVID-19 certification course that InterNACHI uh, released at the beginning of the pandemic. It's been very helpful uh, to me in the field with the, you know, the advanced knowledge and just having, being able to tell clients that I have special training and a certification in COVID-19 has been priceless. Uh, <clears throat> we actually haven't lost a day to, the, uh, to any of the closures. We've been open the whole time. Um, yeah, how, Dennis, how's, how's business? The business has been historically probably the second best year of my career which goes over 15 years. The first best was when the uh, real estate industry tanked. So 08, I believe was the best year because all these like uh, international investors bought up all these foreclosures. Um, and it was mostly because of insurance inspections that we were so busy. Um, but this year has been super busy. And for me, I don't know about the rest of the uh, the country. I hear there's a lot of like, what they call white flight of some people leaving the cities due to the social unrest um, as a result of the pandemic and you know some racial tensions that have built up. So we have people coming here from California and from New York City, you know, keeping politics out of it. We do have a lower tax rate. We're more suburban than some of the big uh, congested cities. Um, and also insurance, uh, Florida statewide has taken about a 20 to 30% increase for property owners insurance. So when you, um, when you get like a $3,000 bill as an increase to your property insurance, the only option you have is to try to shop the market for a new policy. And if you have a four point that is older than one year old, you need to have a new four point. <clears throat> to even shop for a policy. That's the way the four point inspection works is it's not just for underwriting purposes. The insurance carriers won't even look at your property unless you have a clean four point. So if it's less than a year old, you need to have a new one. And this year, since everyone's getting 20, 30% rate increases, they need a new four point. And then um, the wind mitigation, that'll save you up to 40% off the total cost of your wind insurance. So if that form is over five years old, then you need to have a new one. So a lot of my customers this year are people we did um, wind mitts for six years ago. I did a 4.4 a year and three days ago. And regardless, you have to have a new one. Now some clients will say, oh, you're at my house, you know, 
two years ago and nothing's changed. I need a new, uh, new windmill. Can you just change the date? Mm-hmm. Um, now, a lot of inspectors will say, well, what's the big deal? They promise nothing's changed. But my experience has been you go out to the house and when you did the inspection, it was blue and now it's green. So that's just like a, a huge red flag for insurance fraud. Whether or not you're purposefully trying to commit fraud, it's just not correct. So it's a different color house. That means there's something's not correct. And the insurance underwriters are very slick. They send out their own people. So you just have to do the right thing, charge the, the fee that it costs, go out. To, you can charge less if you want. I charge the same. Um, and a lot of times you'll see they've made changes. So a lot of these are repeat customers. Um, but the biggest thing bringing on this, uh, this new influx of insurance inspection businesses is the rate increases. And um, so if you're, if you're in Florida and you're just doing home inspections, that's insane. You're, you're missing out on this huge opportunity. There's a, another market that you're missing out. You got to be in insurance inspections, right? Yes. If you are, if you're only doing home inspections and not doing wind mitig- or insurance inspections, you're missing out on an enor- extreme, enormous amount of business. Um, yeah. You can do just insurance inspections um, and make, make a killing. As a matter of fact, that's all I did for my first few years in the business is just um, I did wind mitigation inspections for the state. They paid us to do the inspections and then that got me into the home inspection business. Um, but there are insurance carriers that hire inspectors full time. As a matter of fact, one of the insurance carriers that we did the, um, the training for their underwriting, the whole, actually the whole company, People's Trust Insurance, they're one of the large um, insurance carriers in Florida, in Florida. Internachi and myself trained the whole entire company. And we wrote the um, training manual for underwriting. And they actually hire, are hiring now full-time home inspectors. They pay full salary, they pay uh, benefits. They, they don't provide a vehicle, but they give you like a stipend for it and all that. Um, and I know there's other insurance carriers that hire as well. Um, and then if you're doing a home inspection, you, uh, sometimes, uh, people that are calling my office for a home inspection, they don't really know what they need. They say, Oh, I need an inspection. So the office will say, are you buying the house or is it for insurance? Um, I'm buying it. And then rather than saying, do you need a wind mitt and a four point? Cause that they don't really know what they need half the time. You just have to assume that they need it and you should charge extra you know you don't include that for free and if if someone like 90 percent of the buyers are getting a mortgage so if you're getting a mortgage for the property that you're buying you need to have insurance bound on that property before you can close Hmm. so they need to have a four point a clean four point to be able to get the insurance so right right that uh inspection right there could could be the difference between the deal going through or not. So the four point a lot of times is more, not more important per se, but can, can be more of a, um, a headache. Yep. I should say there's a lot of customer service involved with these insurance inspections. So don't, don't do them for free. Um, you got to charge, uh, I mean, what you think you can get, what the market will bear. Um, well, I know speaking, you can, 
Speaking of that, speaking of that, we already have a question from Bridget. She asks, we have in Florida and uh, we have insurance inspections up in North Florida, but they don't pay as much elsewhere. So uh, will you be willing to share how much you charge? And uh, Sure. You know. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> up to 5,000 square feet. That's like, that's where my prices start. Um, a wind mitigation by itself is a hundred. A four point is a hundred. A roof certification, which that's another type of insurance inspection. And that's just about the roof. That is just, it asks the roof type, the age, last date of permit, and they ask the life expectancy. Um, so it's a pretty basic inspection. Um, it's just by itself. But if I do both of the wind mitt and the four point together, I charge $145. Um, now, if it goes over 5,000 square foot, it starts at like 195. But if, so years ago when the, the roof certification first came out, I was just throwing those in like, oh, well, it's just a, one more form. And then it became a pain in the ass. I would get out there and the roof would be three stories high or it would be steep or it would be like a two-story flat roof. And I, I found myself like doing a lot of extra work for nothing. And um, so now I charge extra 50 for the roof cert if I'm doing a wind mint or a four point. So now the wind mint went from 100 to 150 and I'm doing those like crazy now. There's, um, there's an insurance carrier this year is now requiring a roof cert on any of their properties. I think it's Florida family, I wanna say. So I'm getting these roof um, condition certificate requests for houses built in 2010. Huh. And it's almost like free money. I hate to say that, but you go out there, the roof is clean. You just walk around, you take a picture of the front, you get on the roof, you take some pictures, you report on it. Um, and it's easy money. Hmm. Now I know in some other areas, people charge a lot less. Um, but I, I mean, I don't really know what to tell you. There should be an average wind mitt for about a hundred dollars. Um, and I think that's a fair fair price if not a little cheap when we started out a wind mitt was 150 hmm. so 15 years ago it was it was 150 bucks and now 100 is a little high but that's what i charge hmm. cool so yeah you hear um you hear people doing them for 50 bucks yeah. uh definitely not worth it and let me tell you um the reason the cost of insurance is so high is not because of hurricanes. It's because of litigation. Um, and you hear about water loss. If you see, um, there's a lot of restoration contractors. These are guys that, you know, they, they get, uh, they get referred to someone who has a leak. They call it water loss. Right. And they have their big van. They come out and they set up fans and the fans, the fans, the dehumidifiers and, um, air scrubbers, these little HEPA fans, and they charge up to $3,000 for leaving the fans there for three days. And then if they have a special mold um, remediation license, they can charge up to $10,000. Um, and there's a lot of fraud involved with this. And so what they do is they, someone has a leaky base water heater that gets the baseboard wet. The guy gets referred by the plumber kickbacks are legal in that industry so the restoration contractor can kick back a thousand bucks to the plumbing contractor um, and then they set the fans up 
they bill the um, the insurance carrier directly, and it usually never adjudicates. So they get an attorney involved, and there's attorneys that specialize in this. So it always goes to um, to litigation, and they end up settling these things for like fifty thousand um, dollars when it could have been repaired for you know fifteen hundred bucks or something like that. Um, and this has drove the the cost of the insurance up in Florida, not hurricanes. Hmm. So that's just a little, a little lesson there. All right. So I'm going to open up a, a wind mitigation inspection. All right. So here you guys can all see this. Yes. All right. So this is a wind mitigation form. It's a standard 1802 released by the Florida department of, um, of insurance regulation. And they, uh, this is standard. All insurance companies have to accept it. The, the Florida statute um, makes it, uh, enables every homeowner entitled to discounts on their, their insurance if they complete this form um, by a licensed individual. It's changed a few times over the years, but this is the latest um, edition released in 2012. So you start at the top, you got to have the date in there, the owner information, address, the year of the home, the year of the home you're going to get from the property appraiser. And you want to go with the actual year built, not the effective year built. Those are two different dates. The effective year built could be the a different year than the actual year built. So like if the effective year built could be a date of a, a last permit or the date of um, it was first sold, but the actual year built would be the the first year that it was built on on record. Um, so the number of stories that the number of stories can change sometimes. So when you take the wind mitigation course on Internachi, it goes over how to determine the amount of stories. I'm not going to really get into that now. So the first um, set number one is the building code. So you want to de determine what building code your structure was built under an X. So there's a B or C. Um, so A would be if it's built under the Florida building code, and that would be the, you would have to find a permit application date of 3102 or later. So if you have anything built in Florida and the permit application date is after 3102, it would be A. Okay. And for number two, for B, HVHZ, that's the high velocity hurricane zone. That is Dade, Miami, Dade, and Broward counties only. They're a special section in the um, in the Florida Building Code, and so the 1994 South Florida Building Code is pretty much the equivalent of the 2001 Florida Building Code. But that started in September 1st of 1994 in these areas. So if you have a house built in in Miami and it was permit date after September 1st, 1994 you would um, select B there, okay? Um, and if any anything is built before, anything in Florida built before 3102, um, you would do X or anything built before 9194 in the high velocity hurricane zone is X. So that's a pretty easy one. You're just figuring out year built dates or permit application dates and, um, and selecting the, the box for that. Now, sometimes it, it, so it's usually obvious, like the house is built in 08 or it's built in 1965. But what if you have something built in 1996 in Miami-Dade? So that's, it says 
uh, for homes built in 94, 95, and 96, they want a permit application date. And it's the same, same concept for the Florida building code. They're asking for 202, 203. And that's because when there's a building code change that's going to go into effect, the, the builders actually pull the permits as soon as possible before the code changes. So you'll see like a lot of these houses in Miami that have <clears throat> year bill of 94, the actual permit application date is somewhere towards the end of 93. And it goes all the way, it goes for a couple years like that. And in fact, commercial buildings, sometimes their permits are pulled 10 years before they're actually built. <laughs> so you gotta look out for that. <clears throat> and the second part is a uh, roof covering. Um, so this is what is known as FBC discount. So that's what the, uh, the insurance industry calls it FBC. Um, that's uh, Florida building code. <clears throat> and so this one, you have to basically go to the house, see what kind of roof it has, check off the boxes. So this one here just had a, um, let's see, first, this is in Plantation, that's Broward County, <clears throat> built in 1989. So that was before 94, X unknown. And so the roof covering was a concrete tile roof, permit application date 3-2404, the permit number here, and then the application date again over here. And so that is built in accordance with the Florida building code because it was built after 02. Okay, so he's gonna get the FBC credit. Um, so these boxes here, this one, the top A applies to a roof that gets the credit, is installed after 02. B would be in the HVAC, HVHC if the, um, the permit was after 9194 between 9194 and 3102, or the house is built 97 or later, that would be FBC for Dade or Broward, okay? Um, and C or D is none, not or C is just one of them doesn't mean. So let's say you have a house with the concrete tile roof that meets the Florida building code, but a flat roof that doesn't. So that would be one, one does not meet, okay? because you have a flat roof that doesn't meet the, the building code. So you're going to have one or more does not meet. Now, if they both, if you don't have any permit information or the, the house is built before 02 or 94 and you don't have any permit information or the house has an old roof, it's going to be none, does not meet, okay? So again, this one is just about figuring out um, dates, ages, that's one difference between these insurance inspections and home inspections. Home inspections, you're allowed a little more leeway. You can estimate, you know, the roof appears to be 10 to 15 years old, no deficiencies observed. In Florida, you're, you're required to, to verify the permit date, get the permit number, the permit application date. You're expected to give a life expectancy and people will hold it against you. Oh, you said my roof has three, four years life expectancy. Um, and it's two years and it's leaking. What, how do you answer that? Uh, also, like, so for the four point, every, it's like common knowledge that, that it needs to have three years or more life expectancy. As a matter of fact, I had an inspection yesterday when the roof was from 2004 and it was an utter disaster. So the, uh, the listing agent and the buyer's agent wanted a little summary at the end of the inspection. This is for actual home inspection. And I said, the roof is God awful. It's going to need a new roof. It's got, you know, 11 different leaks. There's rotted, rotted roof decking. You can stick your finger through it. 
and the listing agent says, well, can you at least give it five years for the four point? I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, that's going to be a problem. I'm like, I, I realize it's going to be a problem. Um, but you get a lot of pushback on that. So you'll, you'll submit these four points. You're going to say the roof has one year life expectancy and you're going to almost guaranteed get a call back guaranteed. Yeah. So there's a lot of customer service. There's a lot of drama involved with these. It's not, you're not everybody's friend. Um, a lot, the, I, I, I'm famous uh, for saying the hardest part about doing a four point is passing one. <laughs> Cause you, you, when we get into the four point, you'll see they ask all these very specific questions and it's very easy to find something that does not, that, that is considered a deficiency on the four point. Yeah. And they just failed. Yeah. Now, most of these people I'm doing the inspections for live in their house. They're minding their own business. They just got a letter. So the insurance agent forwarded my information. And they think it's just, you know, it is. It's just a, a standard formality to keep their policy in place. And guess what? They need a new roof. They need <laughs> to change their electrical panel. Um, and all this, this bad things can happen as a result of me walking through their house. Mm. Um, and it's not... Every day is not like that, but I ha I'm going to tell you it's it can be uh, problematic. So you have to get your spiel down, have your, you know, just get used to it. All right, so roof deck attachment number three. That's how your plywood roof deck is attached to the uh, to the trusses. So you have your in your roof structure you have trusses or rafters, and then you have the plywood on top of the truss. And when a roof is nailed, roof is nailed down. So it's either nailed down with um, 6D nails, 8D nails, staples, and there's specific spacing, how far away the nails are together. And depending on how the roof is fastened, um, you have these boxes here. So it's either A is the weakest and C is the best. Now, if something is nailed to code, you know, 02 or later or 94 later, it should always be C that's going to be called attachment C. If something is with six D nails or staples, it's going to be attachment A. That's the weakest. Um, B would be eight D nails spaced 12 inches apart. That's going to be sort of rare to find that anymore. Um, but that's why you have your metal scanner. Your zircon metal scanner. They have other scanners too, but this is the one that we always recommend. And we have tutorials. If you've ever seen the videos that Ben and I did in Florida, it shows you how to use the scanner in the attic. It just picks up nails on the rafter as you go down and go beep, beep, beep. And you make a little um, mark on the rafter. And then you can figure out your spacing there by measuring the nail, measuring the spacing. You make little marks and you take pictures. And we'll show you in, at, in the picture section on this report. So depending on how the roof deck is nailed, um, and again, always go back to the uh, how to perform a wind mitigation class on InterNACHI because it goes through all these sections in detail, right? So you, you, should, you should take that course, get your certificate, and then practice on a few houses um, and understand what you're, what you're looking at before you go out and do it in the field. Um, and then we have the number four, the roof-to-wall roof to wall attachment. That's how the trusses or the rafters are attached to the exterior wall. And that's what, you know, Troy would tell you, completes the load path, holds the um, rafter down on top of the wall. Uh, and it's basically broken down to A, B, C, D, 
E all the way to H, but there's only a few that are typical. So A always being the weakest, that's toenails, that's your typical framed um, rafters connected to the top plate with a metal nail with a nail um, or straps or clips that do not meet the minimum definitions to qualify for a metal for a clip or strap. So if we look at the metal conditions, they have to have three nails minimum and they have to be attached to the top of the wall with no more than one inch space. Now when I show you these pictures, I'll explain that space. So we have clips, single wraps, double wraps, structural. Um, again, go to the class, look at all the differences. A clip basically doesn't wrap over, has three nails, or it could be a strap that doesn't meet the requirements. It's a little, um, a little inside baseball for this Zoom course. So I recommend taking the, uh, the online international course. We have like numerous examples and different pictures. So you can see what the, what the differences are. Um, roof geometry, another inside baseball one. It could be complicated. Basically the hip roof is the only one that gives you a discount because of its aerodynamic shape. It sheds the wind off and it has to be 90% or more um, hip shape to get that discount. Again, go to the class, learn how we measure, learn the differences in types of roof shapes. Um, as a background for all these courses, you should be taking not only the how to how to do a wind mitigation course, you should take the how to inspect roofs, plumbing course, electric course, HVAC course. That's crucial background information for the four-point inspection. Um, so I don't recommend watching me do a Zoom course or watching any of my videos and then trying to become an um, insurance inspector. I recommend taking all the courses, getting your CPI, getting your wind mitigation certificate, um, so secondary water resistance, that's a, um, that's a primary layer of the roof covering other than the actual roof covering. So that's something that would be applied on top of the roof deck. Um, some ice and water shield is a type. It's a self-adhering, so like a tape um, peel and stick. And it can either cover the seams or the whole roof deck and goes underneath the roofing material. So typically you need to have documentation or photos of that being applied during the roofing process to verify that. Some inspectors say you can see it through the seam under the um, plywood, but the best way is to get pictures from during the re-roofing or have documentation. And it's only like a, a $10 discount over for, the, uh, for a year. So it's not that big a deal, but every dollar counts. So people will uh, take it seriously. Someone says they have it and they want to get the discount. You have to, um, humor them and look through their documentation and do your best to get it for them. Um, so opening protection, that's a big one, especially in South Florida. Um, it's been required on new structures after September 1st, 1994. Um, and then in the rest of Florida, as long as you're in the windborne debris region, it's been required after 02 for most parts, some sections 06, because they changed the map. So you can go to Google and look up the Florida wind speed map. We also have that in the Internachi course, but you can um, Google just about anything. Um, and if you look up the map, you can see where the windborne debris regions are on the coast. Um, and some of that stuff's a little political as you, uh, if you saw the hurricane a few years ago, I believe it was Matthew, was it Michael? Hmm. Troy would know. It decimated the panhandle, it was, it was god awful mess and they would say they were saying for years that they couldn't get a, 
anything above a category three. It was clocked in at a category five, I believe. Um, and it was devastating. So if you guys seen Troy's um, presentation, you could see the houses just ripped off their foundations. All these wood frame structures built right on the coast there and just got, just got worked. Um, so this is the opening, um, opening protection level chart. And this talks about shutters, impact windows, windows, entry doors. This is glazed openings and her glazed openings and non-glazed openings. Glazed openings is any window or door that has glass. Non-glazed is any window or door that has no glass, it's solid. So you have to look at the windows, entry doors, garage doors, skylights, glass block, entry doors, garage doors, and figure out if they meet this criteria. So this criteria is testing criteria for doors, windows, shutters, etc. And we basically have large and small missile impact, um, PA 201, 202, 203, again, inside baseball, take the online InterNACHI course um, for the purposes of this, this, uh, this Zoom meeting, we're gonna talk about X, unprotected, not rated, or impact rated. Um, and so this particular client here looks like they had nothing. So that's usually an easy one. And again, it's usually pretty easy. It's usually like they have nothing or they have several unprotected or they have everything. Now, some of them, they have like some that hard to figure out. Um, so it, you can get uh, bogged down with research on this, but it gets better after time, after you get more experience. Me, I'm like antique roadshow with this stuff. I can almost see it from a mile away, um, but we don't do testing on site. So we're not antique roadshow. That's actually, that's actually a fair point. People will, you'll say, listen, um, these shutters have no permit. They have no labels. I need to be able to prove that they're verified. And the client will say, well, what the hell am I paying you for? <laughs> and you'll get this all the time. And listen, we're not antique roadshow. All we are is verifying stuff. We're not testing on site. Even Troy, who I keep referring to, he's um, a Florida professional, a registered professional engineer. He's the highest credentialed um, professional in this industry. He could, he writes building code. He wrote a lot of these testing criteria. If you're researching um, NOAs, that's notice of acceptance. That's what a product has to receive to be verified as tested um, and meeting the impact criteria. Troy does those. Some like maybe 40% of those um, NOAs or Florida approvals. You'll find Troy's stamp and signature at the end of those. He wrote the building code for uh, rooftop HVA equipment, um, high wind tie downs and like a, a bunch of other stuff. And he can't even certify things on site. So he's the top credentialed guy. He, he can only verify if it's passed the test or not. So these things are actually tested in a laboratory. There's one in Miami Dade. I think Troy has video of it. They shoot two by fours out of cannons and little steel balls at windows and doors. Um, and if they pass the test, they get the stamp and they get an NOA. So that's that's how you find out if something's um, certified or not. Now, real quick, this last section, this is where you put your name, your company number, your license type. This one has my license as my certified general contractor. You would put your home inspector information here, click on which one it is. And if you are a licensed home inspector, remember you have to attach your cert certificate that you've passed the course that you get 
at the end of the international how to perform a women win mitigation course that's key because if you um you send this out as a licensed home inspector without attaching that course it could be rejected that just causes um that just causes a problem for the agent and the homeowner and you don't want to piss anyone off because of customer service issues but you also don't want to lose a potential referral business from that agent um i tell a lot of my students that Realtors are great. They send you home inspections, but how many home inspections does a realtor do per year? Maybe like, maybe like a really good agent, maybe like a few a month. Now an insurance agent, they do hundreds a month, like hundreds and hundreds of properties a month. And they work with hundreds of realtors. So if you get one good insurance agent, that could be like having a hundred realtors. Remember that. Hmm. Um, so down here, you're going to sign, sign your name, put your date, uh, all that stuff. And these are supposed to be signed. Okay. So you want to figure out how you're going to have your report signed. Um, a lot of inspectors will say, well, I've never had to sign in all these years. I've never had a problem, but the bottom line is they're required to be signed. I'm not sure why this one's not. Maybe there was no one there. Okay. This one was the home inspection. There was no one there. So that's why they didn't sign it. But this actual home inspections client was an insurance agent. So, I'm sure he can figure out how to get it signed. Anyway, so here's the pictures. So required pictures, you have to have pictures of all sides of the house. The house number is key to always not only keep your photos in order, but just so you prove that this is the correct address. So we're looking at the front of the house. It's obviously not a hip roof. These are big gables. Okay. This is a label of a window. Um, I know it's upside down. If you see this TAS 201, 202, 203, large missile impact rated. So that is um, obviously, it, I wrote some impact windows and doors. Now this was sort of a half-assed wind mitigation. I'm gonna admit off, the, off the, uh, the get, they didn't have all impact. It was like maybe a quarter of the house. So when we're tasked with verifying the opening protection, it asks us what's the weakest level of opening protection. And when it's a majority unprotected, I'm not gonna really hone in on verifying all the impact ones because this is a huge house. Now, if it was 90% impact, I would hone in on that and then uh, separate all the unprotected ones because they're probably gonna follow up with the reinspection. They're gonna, they're gonna fix those weaker openings and then when I go back six months, a year, two years, whatever, I have my previous inspection and it's very clear. So I, I only have to check the three unprotected openings. Obviously, I'm going to look, make sure nothing else has been changed. But for this one, it was mostly unprotected. So I didn't really get too uh, specific on the details, if that makes any sense. All right. So we had a uh, glazed unprotected garage door. So that right there would, would bar any opening protection discounts. Um, but you always want to show for your garage door picture, show the whole door and then the label of it. This one had no label, but it was clearly a 1989 non-impact garage door. So you have a picture of the right. Always put a picture of the pool, whether you're doing a four point or a wind mitigation. For underwriting purposes, they need to see a picture of the pool. For insurance, it has to be clear. The water quality has to be clear and it has to be full. If you have a client who the, the pool's um, it's dark, it's a, it's a poor water quality or it's empty, um, you want to advise them that it's going to be a problem for them. And 
one way or the other, the insurance carrier is going to have to see the pool. Um, but definitely don't sneak it in there on your client. You know, same with things like trampolines or Doberman pinchers or Rottweilers. There's a certain type of uh, pet breed, which there's a good chance their insurance carrier has a list of acceptable breeds. Um, so if you notice your, your, your client has a, a Mastiff or, or whatever kind of dog, you might want to say, hey, listen, on the download, talk to your agent, make sure that one's allowed because um, they can get denied a claim. And this is a very litigious society. I've had plenty of clients get, um, get lawsuits filed because their dog scared some old lady and she fell down. All right, so you have uh, pictures of the rear elevation here, the back, the other back, the far right uh, back, and then the left. These are some unprotected windows. So we have, uh, so we're getting down to the roof deck attachment pictures. So we have a half inch roof deck. I just take a picture of the, uh, the stamp. That's the easiest way. Other, other ways you can do it is stick a, a measuring device in between the seams. That's another way. Um, and then I, I took a picture of the uh, roof deck fastener. So we have a 6D now. Um, so that's gonna be attachment A. Because they have to, for a B or C, it has to be a minimum 8D now. So the 6D now um, is going to be attachment A. We already know that. We look at the top. And this one here, um, here's the fastener from this picture. It looks like it's installed within a half inch. And then it has three nails. It does not wrap over. Um, so we gave it clips. Now, a, a point of of maybe mention is that these nails aren't even all the way driven in. So that could be questionable. But I'm, I'm not like the Gestapo here. I'm really not trying to, um, I'm not trying to put too much information or too little. I'm trying to be like right in the middle. I'm working for this client. They're paying me, but I, I'm not, there's like a, a fine line. I'm not trying to, uh, wear out my welcome with the insurance industry either. Um, so it can be a little bit of a juggling act, uh, but you have to use your best judgment, you know, based on experience, you'll figure out uh, what you're comfortable with. Um, I always tell my students, as long as you put your head on the pillow at night and it's quiet, um, there's no committee in effect. You shouldn't be getting too much committee. You shouldn't be questioning whether or not you're committing insurance fraud. Because if you're even questioning it, then chances are you're leaning towards the wrong side of, of uh, what you should be comfortable with. All right, and then we had un, unverified skylights. Those are also openings that need to be verified. Um, and then I had the uh, a window permit that I found. Now, uh, the permit information is vital to be able to look up. I use BuildFax. You get a discount on BuildFax with your InterNACHI membership. Um, BuildFax is a wonderful company to work with. They're based out of, uh, I believe, Asheville, North Carolina. They're very receptive to input and very helpful if you need any help. Um, so I've been using them for years. I highly recommend it. Uh, and then the roof permit. I was shocked to see that this roof had a, uh, an actual permit because it was a piece. Um, but that was the, uh, the windmill. Okay. And so let's look at the four point that I did. So here is... <clears throat> the four point that I did. Now this one was an actual home inspection. So when I'm doing the home inspection, so when I'm doing a four point for someone that lives in their house and it's just a routine thing for their insurance, 
I'm sort of doing the four point like this. These are my blinders. In my heart of hearts, I want everyone to pass. Now, the hardest thing to do is pass a four point. But when you live in your house, you're minding your own business, you take care of your house, I'm showing up like this. And I got my fingers crossed the whole time. Please no double tap breakers. Please have a TPR discharge pipe. Please, oh, please um, don't have a Federal Pacific panel. It's basically Home Inspector 101 is the four-point inspection, okay? Um, but believe it or not, everyone has a little deficiency. Now, you, I, you might have just passed your course. You might have just got licensed. Don't go out there to every ho unsuspecting homeowner and do an 18-page four-point and look for every tiny, little, tiny thing. Try to be kind. Try to do this a little bit. But don't do any insurance fraud. You have to note double tabs. You have to note this. You have to note that. But just don't put more information than this form actually asks for. That's my best advice. Now, a home inspection is another thing. Someone's buying this house. They don't live there. They're not minding their own business. They're going to they're gonna use this against you. Um, someone told me a very old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> they're going to ask you, Oh, this roof, it only needs three years. Can't you just change that one year to three years? Please, I, I just need it to say three years for, for it to pass for this deal to go through. That's the first person that's going to call you when the roof leaks. And they're gonna, um, you're going to get a lawyer or a letter from their attorney or the first uh, four point that you falsify and sneak in someone else's water heater. That's the one that you're going to get brought up to you in a deposition seven years later for some stupid um, lawsuit, right? So these things do come back to haunt you. Be as honest and and thorough as possible, but don't be overkill. There's there's like a fine line. Um, sometimes it's not an obvious fine line. So here's the four point. Um, it asks about electrical system, the total amps. Is the amperage uh, sufficient for current use? Now we're not qualified to do load calculations, so you're not an electrical engineer like Gordon. We have an electrical engineer also who teaches at the House of Horrors. He's probably the highest credentialed instructor in the country. Um, I, hope, I hope he's going to do one of these soon. Uh, but So no load calculations. If it's a single-family residential house and it's under 60 amps, that's going to be no. Okay. Uh, now, it's going to ask if there's any presence of the following. Cloth wiring, active knob and tube, aluminum wiring, um, and then aluminum wiring repairs okay now that stuff is is more in uh inside baseball i do have a presentation um <clears throat> just about four points and i have a history of wiring um there's actually not that much information about that history of wiring um but i did put together a course about that and you will find you will it's hard to find life expectancy for wiring you get life expectancy on copper you get life expectancy on aluminum, but not the actual whole wire assembly. Um, the National Associations of like Fire Control or whatever, they won't even give you that. But the insurance industry wants us, for some reason they think we, we, we have that. Um, but I don't have all the information right here. I don't think we have time. Anyway, is, so this is gonna ask about hazards present, blown fuses, tripping breakers, empty sockets, typical electrical deficiencies. I have here other Main panel obstructed by cabinet in the garage, unable to remove the cover. So this one, you'll see there's a picture. There's a cabinet built on top of the cover. Um, and I couldn't even inspect it. So that's 
obviously deficiency. I believe it's like three feet rule. You have the clearance. International has a great graphic just explaining that. Um, and that's the National Electric Code. <coughs> a lot of inspectors ask or state, there's like a debate, are we code inspectors? Are we not code inspectors? Ben told me that the, um, the Internachi standard of practice was based on the international ICC residential building code. So we're not enforcing the code, but I believe our standard of practice is based on the code. Um, so it's my opinion that you're more than, more than within your legal rights to cite code. So when there's something like a panel being obstructed, I will more, more, I'll be more than happy to cite the national electrical code that requires three feet. And there's other codes, which I often cite. Um, so don't get, don't be scared by the code. Um, so this one asks about the main panel age, the year of last update and the uh, brand model S wiring type copper, non-metallic BX or conduit um, HVAC system. Um, you're basically going to ask the date of the AC, the date of last update, um, the age, the year of last update. And this for the four point inspection, unless the thing's leaking, um, it's pretty much going to pass. Uh, but there are other things about um, space heaters, wood burning stove, not professionally installed. So be on the lookout for those things. We don't really use space heaters in South Florida. It's always 100 degrees here. So we, we have your typical, you know, HVAC condenser uh, air handler. <clears throat> it's a plumbing system. It's asking about the water heater. Does it have the TPR valve? And then you always want to have the age and the location of the uh, water heater. And those are important, that's important information and the, um, <clears throat> and the pictures. And then it asks about the general condition of all these things over here, satisfactory, unsatisfactory. No, you're not required to test all the appliances. Just look at them, see if, they're, if there's any leaks, if there are um, any de obvious deficiencies. Um, and then it, if you have something unsatisfactory, there's a little space for you here. Um, so in this case, he had a disconnected vent stack in the attic, uh, and I'll show a picture of that. <clears throat> in the plumbing system, <clears throat> it asks about the age of the piping, supply, and the drain. Asked if it was original, completely repiped, or partially repiped. So this is where your permit history search will come into effect. Sometimes you have to estimate or do a little invest investigation with your client. So if you have an old house that looks freshly remodeled, you're going to say, hey, when was the last time you updated this? And then you could put approximately, approximately updated in 2010 or whatever. Um, in this case, it was original. This house was built in 89. Um, and then you're gonna, it's going to identify the types of supply, the type of drain. Typical issues you'll run into on the type of supply would be polybutylene or galvanized. Um, again, Home Inspector 101. Uh, and then on the uh, drain side, typically an issue you could run into is cast iron drains. And those are you know older, they fail about 50 years. And that's the, uh, the plumbing section. Um, and then down to the roof. So this is the, uh, the roof section of the four point, which is the same as the roof condition certificate, same exact information. And basically predominant roof and secondary roof. So both roof covering types is typically gonna be um, a shingle or a metal or a concrete tile, clay tile, whatever as your predominant and the secondary might be a flat modified bitumen or membrane. Um, so it's asking the roof, 
roof, uh, roof material covering type. And you have like a bunch of different options here. Um, and this is a form that was made by John Chinchilla. And it's your, it's your uh, standard citizens form. It's basically the industry standard. If you want a copy of this form, you can go to Florida inspectors group on Facebook. There is a file section and the forms are there. If you have Adobe Acrobat, you can get these forms and fill them yourselves. There's picture pages and they're fillable and you can sign them. Same with the 1802 that's available in the same area. And the citizens form is basically the industry standard. Other insurance carriers do have their own um, state farm, for instance. Um, that one's a little more detailed and that's not the industry standard. There are other forms. There's like a plumbing certification form from Florida family, but you have to be a licensed contractor to fill that one out. So for, for everyone out there, the citizens form is the standard. At the very least, they require, the all insurance carriers require this as the minimum amount of information. So be careful with certain uh, home inspection software companies that have their own little windmit or four point form. Don't use any windmit form that's not the standard 1802 that will be rejected. And don't use any four point form that might have less information than this. Um, in my opinion, in my recommendation is to use this exact form. This is released by citizens, which is like the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac of insurance in the state of Florida. Okay, so I would stick with this. Back to the roof section here. So the roof type, this one's concrete tile, roof age, remaining useful life, I gave it one year. And this is one when the listing agent says, well, can you not at least give it five years? I need it to get five years to close. But as you'll see the picture of this roof, it was not, I'm not giving it five years. Hey, Dennis, uh, Donald asks uh, on the roof cert, uh, is it a requirement to walk on all of the roofs? Do you got to go up there and walk on them? No, it's not a requirement. Yeah. This form requires you to provide photos. Does it say here? Uh, I think on the roof section it says photos. It, it's a limited visual survey. Um, there, all right, there. it says, each roof slope. with photos of each roof slope. Yeah. So that's what it requires. Whether you get up, whether you walk on there or not is entirely up to you. Some, this one I didn't walk on. You'll see pictures. It was like a, like an eight pitch loose concrete tile. I, I put my ladder up to the E. First of all, you could see the whole thing from the ground, but I, I want to walk on every roof. I want to actually get up there and touch it. I want to poke at some of the wood. I want to look at the skylights. But if it doesn't feel safe, there's no way in hell I'm getting up there. Um, so you can use a drone or you can le lean at the eaves, but you wanna get um, the best amount of pictures that you can get. Um, and this says here, photos of each roof slope. Now I'll tell you, if you're failing the roof, they don't give a crap what the photos are look like. So they'll only really get, uh, well, I should say, like if you're failing a roof, the homeowner and the insurance agent are gonna bust your chops, right? but the insurance carrier won't. If you're passing it, that's when the insurance carrier starts quality controlling your work. So if you're passing a roof, but you have half-assed photos of only one side of the roof, then they might reject it. But if you're passing the roof and you have photos showing the whole thing in really nice condition, then you're good to go. So if you get them with the drone 
or you can lean your ladder and get them that way or have one of those poles, then you're good to go. <clears throat> Edwin, good Edwin to go. Perez is asking, how do you decide the remaining years? If it looks in good shape or is it passing the life expectancy? You know, how well, do you we have flo we have internationally has a, a life expectancy chart, which is a good starting point. Um, and then based on experience, I should say, um, having Indeed. been on thousands of roofs, I can look at a roof and tell what I think the life expectancy w should be. Like for instance, a tile roof, you're looking at like, tw depending on like if it's a new tile roof, you could say it's got 25 years life expectancy, right? Um, but let's say if it's a 25 year old tile roof and it's in great shape, you could maybe say it's got five, maybe 10, um, but if the thing is in if the thing is in bad shape, it doesn't matter. It's it's going to be one. Any if, if anything less than three, so they have to have three years minimum life expectancy. This is the way the life expectancy works. It has to have three years. So anything less than three years, it's uninsurable. Yeah. But three years will trigger a non-renewal because if I give three years tomorrow, it has less than three years. If that makes sense. So four years means one year in a day. So even if you put three years, you think you're doing someone a favor, they're still going to call back and say, I need five years. So be yeah. careful what, when you start. That's when it gets down to the nitty gritty is when that thing is a tile roof. It's in fair looking condition and it's 25 years old. And you're like, ooh, right. three years. And then you still think you're doing them a favor. They're still going to want five years. So it can be a little bit of a juggling act, I have to admit. But like my, my, um, my rule of thumb is like for tile roof max, 50 years. And I know that's like crazy, but you do have some like Bermuda roofs in uh, Bermuda that are 120 years old. <laughs> and those are concrete roofs, right? They're like tile and they're maintained and they're almost 120 years old. Same with sort of some slate roofs. Now that's a stretch. In Florida, we have some Bermuda roofs and they're 70 years old and they look great. And we have some 20 year old tile roofs that are completely shot because the workmanship went downhill in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It was like crap. Um, so okay. 20, 25 for tile, unless it's an older tile, maybe 50 max. Shingle, 2025, 20, flat, 10 to 15. Um, and then you have to use your, your judgment because sometimes flat roofs in the city are covered with soot and they look god awful if they're under trees. But sometimes you have like a flat roof that's 15 years old and looks really, really good. Um, so it can vary a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but a good starting point is InterNACHI's life expectancy chart. Yeah. Um, Let's just get into this form real quick. I'm running out of battery and yep. time here. Yep. So real quick, I'm going to go through these pictures. Yep. Again, you need elevation pictures of all the sides. You need the um, AC with the data labels. You can get the um, age and the size off the data label. You get that information um, through the HVAC course, InterNACHI. Um, plumbing, you need pictures under all the sinks of the drains and the valves and supply lines. Uh, you need a picture of the laundry valves here. That's a required um, AC. You need a picture of the water heater, the water heater label. 
the electrical panels with the cover on and the cover off. Another water heater, just a picture showing the water heater with the, uh, the label. You do your little inspection, then you include the picture. If there's no deficiencies, then you just have a picture and everything's fine. So this is the panel that was obstructed in the garage with the cabinet over it. So that was the reason it fails the electrical portion of the four point. And then in the roof deck, we have some wood right here, some wood right there, some wood right here, crack tile here. See how it was very steep? I didn't walk on that because those tiles on the bottom row were loose. So I'm not going to bust my, my butt trying to walk on this roof. You see a patch around the skylight. There was also water damage on the interior ceiling. Little ghetto patch here. Another rotted roof deck, a disconnected um, stack. And you can see the open, oops. Um, this is the answer. Sorry. Um, you could see the little hole in the roof deck. And that was it. Now, when there's like 4 billion deficiencies on a house, you're going to run out of picture paper. Just one thing fails a four point. It's yeah. a pass or fail, right? So that was my little four point. I could probably go all day. I, I have like hundreds of these things. They're all different. No inspections the same. Again, yeah. the hardest thing to do is pass. And um, I don't De know. Yeah, Dennis, before you go, we have one more question from Francisco. What form do you use for a windmill on a condo? What four-point form for condos? What about condos instead of these single detached? Four-point form is the same for the condo. You just do on the main roof, the uh, association roof as a roof portion. Um, everything else is the same. The wind mitt, if you're doing the condo for the unit owner only, you're going to use the 18-0 form, same form we just looked at, but you're only reporting on that unit, and you're doing the roof structure as the main association roof. So you have to get attic access or unless it's a high rise, then you report it. You have to just get a picture of the top of the roof and showing the concrete roof structure. And then you'll report on that interior unit only. And if they have their front doors into the hallway, then you're not reporting on that door, just the windows and the balcony. Okay. Yep. But if it's for the whole building, then there's a form called the type two and type three form. And that's a different form, which we don't teach primarily because you have to be a certified general contractor, architect, or an engineer to complete that. You can't do that if you're um, just a licensed home inspector. And Francisco asks, when a client asks for a roof inspection for the purpose of an insurance claim, what's the roof form? What's the roof inspection form? That's not the 1802. It depends if they want a roof mitigation, that's the 1802, or if they want a roof condition certificate. That's, yeah. the, um, that's the citizen's roof condition certificate that's a specific form it's the same exact information as the four point that we found if you can't right. i don't have it right here but just google it citizens roof condition certificate and it comes right up and it's also available on the florida home and florida inspectors facebook group in the file section yep uh-oh it looks like you're breaking up uh-oh we may have lost dennis good we got the last question in so Dennis, if you can hear me, thank you so much. Everybody attending, thank you so much. Dennis uh, Bonner from Florida Inspections. Uh, really appreciate taking your time out. And uh, he went all the way to the end till his battery crapped out on him. <laughs> so um, thank you so much, Dennis. I really appreciate it. It was a great presentation. And uh, this has been an internet webinar with Dennis Bonner from Florida Insurance Inspections. Uh, down in Florida, teaching us about all kinds of Florida insurance inspections and forms.
and making money doing it. And uh, so thank you, everybody. I'm Ben Gramico from InterNACHI. This has been an InterNACHI webinar. Uh, we have a ton of other webinars at nachi.org slash webinars. So I'll see you then. Bye, everybody. Stay safe and healthy.